Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. For some people, going to see a show is a way of life. For others, it's just a pastime. But either way, the venues that host the entertainment matter. And some are popping up in unexpected places. That means someone's living room can be another person's concert hall. This is the second episode of our two-part series, Diving Into Unconventional Venues. In our last episode, we heard from artists who use non-traditional venues and learned what those spaces are like and how they came to be. So we figured out that with house show touring, I could go and play shows for people who wanted to hear me play so I could make a living. It's an artistically spiritual experience. He gives all of himself to these shows. But I think providing those other elements kind of brings walls down it allows people to open up and it, it can be almost therapeutic we do like some cowboy shit you know like we'll shut it down when the cops come <laughs> in this episode we're going to explore the ways in which unconventional venues give creatives different opportunities to monetize their talents and give marginalized artists the power to create their own spaces i'm my martinez and this is career pigeon If you've ever gone to the movies, you've likely paid way too much for a bag of popcorn or a box of candy. That's because movie theaters make a significant profit off concessions. Similarly, t-shirts, vinyl, and other souvenirs sold at shows can be a lucrative revenue stream for musicians, depending on their merch cut. That amount varies greatly because some venues take up to 30% of the night's haul. And as you can imagine, that doesn't sit well with artists, and some are speaking out about it. Hey, y'all. Uh, BJ here. I uh, just wanted to get on here and talk to you guys about something near and dear to my heart. Merchandise splits. It is merchandise that we design. It is merchandise that we manufacture. It's merchandise that we ship, we transport, we set up, we sell, and we break down ourselves each night. We do not think it's fair that these clubs are taking 20% without doing any of the work. That's American Aquarium singer-songwriter B.J. Barham. He recently took to Twitter and Instagram to talk about how the venue's cut impacts prices. So I'm putting a sign up every single night that says, this is what the club is taking, this is why we're having to raise prices, thank you for being here, thank you for supporting the music we make. It has made the clubs very upset. Maybe you should re-examine your business practices. Everybody's okay with being sketchy when the lights are out. When the lights are on, that's when the real stuff, that, that's when people get to judge it. We couldn't do this five years ago. We couldn't afford to miss out on any merch sales. We couldn't afford it. We needed it to get down the road. We are finally very fortunate to be in a situation to where I can talk about it. And on top of that, once the artist gets their cut, that gets divvied up even more. WBBM podcast producer Jim Hankey spoke with merchandise manager Brian Schroth, who's toured the world with internationally known bands like Flogging Molly and Kill Switch Engage to better explain the math. They're taking 20%, well, that's 80% left over. And that's not true. 
okay, so you got figure cost of goods is 20 or 30%. So we'll say $100 is your gross, which is nothing now, but 20% is taken off for the venue. And then you got your cost of goods is a 20%. And now if I'm working for the band, sometimes if I'm not salary, I get a percentage. So we'll say 5%. So 5% is taken off. So now after cost of goods, the venue cut and me, 45% is, is taken out. So you're at 55. All right. Now you've got credit card fees. They're between three and 5%. So there's another, we'll say 5%. Now you're on to 50. And then the venues in some cases will retain the tax on the merchandise that you've sold. So if you're in a major city, they're going to keep the 10% sales tax that was sold on their premises. So now you're down 40%, but you have a manager who takes 15%. So now you're down 25%. Now you've got five people in your band. <laughs> There's just so many hands in the pot. And the thing is the band is the one that fronts all of this money initially. So they're totally just out in the wind on this. Because the merch is used to help some artists compensate for lack of revenue from ticket sales, the more the venue takes, the less the artist gets. Non-traditional venues allow artists to avoid all the hoops and just focus on their performances. For example, in our last episode, we spoke about Andrew Bird and his annual Gazellekite shows at the Fourth Presbyterian Church. The church's music coordinator, Chris Norton, explained that as a nonprofit, they don't take a merch cut, which gave Andrew and his team the freedom to sell non-traditional merch at an unconventional location. And that opened a door for longtime fan and tea herb specialist Lisa Fry. It was when they first announced the Gazellekite shows that these would be back after three years of not being here. I was so thrilled and just wanted to do something. And I said, maybe I should make a tea for Andrew Bird. So I made one that have heartwarming herbs in them that I was hoping would just linger on the palate and warm people up from the inside out just like these shows do. I made the tea and I just sent it and then I sent an email to his manager, Andrea Trulin, and I said, there's this tea on the way. Um, Gazelle Hyde tea is in the mailbox, you know, keep an eye out. And I got an email back from her right away and she's like, this is the best idea I've ever heard. She was in love with the idea and it just took off from there. Unconventional venues can be a unique way to bring something new to your art. But for many do-it-yourself or DIY artists, unconventional venues aren't just an avenue for sensational vibes. They're also a way to create a platform that isn't always accessible to them. We're going to bring up someone here who's a great writer, storyteller, great comic, Kenya Elan. Kenya Elan is a writer and comedian who's a featured player with the Lincoln Lodge and a DIY comedy host and producer. She started her comedy journey in January of 2020. I had done some other comedy things. I tried improv. I had taken writing classes over the years and nothing really stuck. Stand-up at least felt like you could get into it without having to pay a bunch of money. You know what I mean? You could get started and you didn't have to like go through level one, two, three, and four just to get up on stage. With writing scripts and things like that, it may not ever come to fruition. Um, with this, it was like I could write down my ideas and I could, you know, hop up and do four minutes and work it out and immediately have that response to my work. In our first episode, we talked to Kenya about starting an outdoor comedy show in Humboldt Park during the COVID lockdown of 2020. 
Since then, she's performed in other unconventional venues, such as Wicker Park's Chicago Plants. As a woman in comedy, having alternate venues to perform in, as well as traditional clubs, gives her comfort. I, I would still say this is pretty male-dominated uh, industry, um, and it just helps bring a more feminine, just like not such like a hard thing to it all, um, which I am looking for more and more. And so I think that's why I also tend to um, lean towards these spaces more often. Yes, you still want to, you still want to crush, <laughs> but um, maybe not, you know what I mean? Not so violently. <laughs> I'm still in those spaces and I still appreciate them, but I have another outlet and I have another way of like knowing that, that I belong in, I have just as much to offer than if I, I think that I would feel if I was constantly in those rooms. For Kenya, having a space for comedy that welcomes everyone is important to her, and those performances outside of the traditional club circuit empower her, her art, and her audience. We tailored more to like the LGBTQ community, just like more black and brown people, just a more diverse like crowd of people. Because um, yeah, there aren't a ton of spaces, like most people that I talk to within those communities, when I talk about comedy shows, they're like, yeah, we went and like, it's just like a, a lot of guys making pedophile jokes um, and they're turned off, you know what I mean? It's not fully aware of like the crowd itself. Comedy should be for everybody. Um, and so you kind of tailor the room to others and more people like myself, you kind of have to create your own space in that way. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Of the vast DIY scene, a large part of it is considered underground. In our last episode, we addressed some of the laws and regulations around putting on a show. So if you haven't listened and would like some context, go back and check it out. I remember the first DIY show I, I pulled up to. It was at the ramen house. And I thought it was going to be at like a ramen restaurant. And that's how I got all of my like, friends to come. DC is a musician and producer who's been part of the DIY scene for six years. He sat down with WBBM podcast producer Ariel Ravenet to share his experience in the community. So we pull up and it's like residential as I was like, damn, I bet this is somebody's house. And it was. It was just some people in like somebody's garage huddled up to this performance artist. And she had like this keyboard hooked up to a TV that just was like had white noise. And it was so weird to me. And my friends, and my friends were like, oh, hell no, we gotta go. And it was all white people, and we're like a group of black people. And I vividly remember, I was like, damn, we just have to like get drunk, and then it'll be fun. And it was fun, you know? <laughs> so much fun that we kept on going back. The conversation surrounding diversity in entertainment looks different in every industry and level of production. Though DIY has a counterculture aspect, which includes spaces of broader acceptance, that doesn't mean there aren't some biases at work. I never really felt unsafe. I felt like others definitely. When I first came into the scene, I'm like, damn, like, why can't black people get these like f chances? You know, like, why do you see rappers 
having to like pass out their mixtapes on streets and that's like a meme and everyone's laughing but like this guy that practiced practiced guitar for two weeks and not even really you know is getting up there and he has a room full of people just listening to him i thought that was pretty bogus it almost seemed like it was on purpose that there wasn't any black folk in the scene dc told us he loves the community the diy music scene gave him as a young adult but couldn't help but notice the lack of diversity in most rooms. Unlike the professional music industry, it's easier in DIY to fill a need because, as the name suggests, you can just do it yourself. With his passion for the scene and musicians, DC chose to create a platform for artists that look more like him by opening an unconventional venue out of his living room called The Bakery. That's low-key why I started putting on shows, too. It's got, I, I at least have seen a need in the community because there wasn't a lot of, like, POCs, you know, like doing the music and like black people specifically. When I first came into the scene, I would like be one of the only black people for a, a large majority of the shows. You know, I'm glad like the scenes has some more color now, but that definitely wasn't the case when I came in the scene. So that's also historically been DIY. And it hasn't really been like the, the figurehead's fault, you know, it's just been like the rock scene a lot of times, you know, or just like people not having any exposure because like low-key there's not a lot of venues on the south side you know and the people that would be willing to do shows a lot of times would be up north i really seen a need uh in pilsen again that's another reason why i started the bakery because like i made sure to like always have somebody black or brown on the bill you know the bakery has been open and serving up shows for three years and counting there, DC's hosted a myriad of musicians, giving them a platform to perform and those who want to see them a place to gather, which has cultivated a more inclusive community. It's a more diverse crowd, you know, it's not just a bunch of white boys, is what I think um, I really appreciate. And a lot of it, of it is also just like a community I've built. You know, I think like the bakery, uh, you pull up to the bakery, Especially for like the jams, it's like its own culture. And I think moving forward, I kind of want to do less of shows for like profit, you know, because again, like no one's really making money off of these shows and more of like community based things. Like I want to do drum circles, you know, I want to do like healing things for like the community more so than anything for these upcoming shows. But there also are just bangers happening. <laughs> Joe Tice is an independent Chicago-based rapper and hip-hop producer. Like our other artists, he's a performer who took the means of development into his own hands. I didn't want to control other people's music. I wanted to make my own. And I felt like I could make my own. So I ended up buying my first beat machine at like 17. And after that, I just kind of fell in love with the creation. I was able to get my ideas out a little bit better by creating my own music. Having started his career as a teenager, he participated in cipher battles, a tight circle competing for an opportunity to beatbox, breakdance, or rap, while at the same time harmoniously making music together. I remember we used to go to Navy Pier, because Navy Pier was really big for having like cipher battles. Cipher battles were huge back in the day, and rappers just kind of go at each other and they just kind of rhyming against each other. And we would get so much disrespect because we were from the suburbs. Oh, y'all go back to the suburbs. Y'all don't know nothing about rap. And it's just like, but we're dope though. 
You know what I'm saying? We're still the same two guys from the suburbs and we're putting out product that people are calling like their favorite album of the year. Partnered with longtime friend Marcus Stevens, Joe's current project is called Red Mercury and it spawned out of their late 90s group Temple of Thieves. He's been creating music for decades, so we wanted to know what the rap scene looked like now versus when he began. One of the problems that we've kind of had in, in Chicago when it comes to rap music, there wasn't a whole lot of collaboration. Every artist kind of wanted to be their own artist and wanted to put the city of Chicago on their back and do it themselves. Um, producers didn't really work with a whole lot of different artists. Rappers very rarely worked with each other. But now I've kind of noticed that there's been a turnaround with the amount of people that are willing to work with each other for the common good of, if nothing else, getting their brand out. The more that they collaborate with other producers and other artists, it's only gonna help themselves. They're not really looking to be the top person in Chicago. They just wanna be a part of the scene. Joe has performed in all types of venues, but his favorite is Elastic Arts located in Logan Square. It appeals to him because of the energy and the accommodations the venue makes for performers. With intentional freedom, a venue doesn't have to be unconventional or DIY to be accommodating for both fans and artists. It's crazy because as a performer, yeah, you could perform at the big places, but that's not really where the energy is. The energy is for those small rooms where the capacity is like 60 people, 70 people, because the energy transfers a lot easier especially if it's loud in the room or the energy transfers. But if you got food that you want to sell, you can do that. You get access to the sound system. Chairs are set up for you. I've done maybe six or seven shows at Elastic Arts. Sam Lewis is the guy that runs it. He's a super cool brother. Super cool. He doesn't interfere with your show. You control the door. You can, you know what I'm saying? You can charge to get in. He does ask for a donation, which, of course, I'm with that. And I'll give them a cut of the door, too. Like, I'll pay a donation and give them a cut of the door. If you do that and you take care of the place, you keep it clean, you don't break anything, you abide by the rules. And Elastic Arts, they just don't do hip-hop. They do jazz. They do poetry. They do all kinds of different genres uh, of music. And it's a really, really good place. So I love and will praise the Elastic Arts Foundation forever. I love that venue. As the nation's third largest city, Chicago has a hustle culture that stands out. The city births and attracts creatives that will fight to get stuff done, giving its art a unique charm. I would say it's really thriving. I think people have been sitting on years of ideas because <laughs> we were set back for so long. And so I think people had a lot of time to think and create. And so there's a lot that's coming out. A testament to that is just the number of like Chicago faces you see on just on television alone right now. There's a lot of talent coming out of Chicago. I think Chicago, like it's not as intense as, you know, New York or LA. Um, I feel like you have a little bit more breathing room. You can be a little bit weirder. You can try things out. It's a great starting ground. Another big DIY Chicago thing is that like it has a really tight central hub, which is the Chicago DIY page. Uh, I think that's like what separates Chicago is that like it does have a pretty good page where you can find these shows. You know, like I I, I don't know anything like New York doesn't have that. You know, like uh, LA, not really, not like house shows, not, not like real house shows. No matter where or how you choose to consume art, there's a seemingly never-ending supply. Joe believes there's a lot you can discover if you just listen for it.
be open to discovering new music. Keep Shazam on your phone and keep it ready to go pretty much at all times because you never know what artists you're going to be able to discover. Support the, the independent artists because the independent artists are the ones that are looking for smaller venues just to kind of do music at. And I think that's important to the ecosystem of music as a whole. A lot of these artists started off this way. Jay-Z started off in the underground scene doing these little basement rhyme parties and until eventually something caught on. So be open to discovering new music. Don't always go to the internet, but step inside of your record stores. You might even discover something old that you didn't even really realize. Thanks for listening to this episode of WBBM Courier Pigeon, our newest podcast. Subscribe to us on the Odyssey app, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts so you don't miss an episode. WBBM Courier Pigeon is an original podcast production. It's hosted by Mai Martinez, produced, written, and edited by Ariel Ravenet, Jim Hankey, and Lizzie Baumgartner. Reporting for this episode was done by Jim Hankey and Ariel Ravenet with editorial direction by Lizzie Baumgartner. Thanks for listening to WBBM Courier Pigeon. I'm Mai Martinez.